Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast, where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back, and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Welcome back to another episode of the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. I'm so excited to have Vanessa Brewers with us. Vanessa's early career was in the C-suite of a major corporation, leading the internal department of process improvement. Despite loving the work, she was called into deeper modes of healing as a coach and healer and on the shamanic path. She went more than a decade coaching top performing entrepreneurs, organizational leaders, and professionals to tear down decades of inner blocks and performance, eliminate stress and overwhelm and radically shift the way that they lead their teams and businesses to create more impact and results. Her results prove that the more you focus on human experience, the better performance will be. She works as a culture shaman to put the human back into human performance and works with top organizations like Reddit, LinkedIn, University of Pittsburgh, and her own top performing fitness studio to create cultures that truly thrive at the human level to support higher performance within the organization. When I tell you that Vanessa and I laughed a ridiculous amount on this episode, I'm probably under exaggerating that. We had so much fun during this conversation and we really talked about that spirituality connection and some of the resistance that so many leaders and business owners and entrepreneurs feel. How do we start to soften that so that we can bring the human that we are back into um, our businesses and into the communication that we have Vanessa and I dug into topics related to leadership and growth and human performance in relationship to spirituality, and we had an absolute blast. I'm really excited to share the interview with you, but before we do, if you are somebody who is ready to reach that next level of success, whatever that is for you, maybe you are currently in a nine to five or you're a professional service provider that is wondering why the success that you've created for yourself just doesn't feel like enough. Maybe you are an entrepreneur or a business owner and you've reached a level of success and you can't figure out why you can't get above whatever ceiling you hit in your business success. If you want to know how you can build the life that you've always wanted while also having the business and the freedom that you deserve to have, then I have the exact solution for you. The Break Your Bullshit Box Academy will be live very soon. If you are interested in this, please head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com. Get on my calendar and let's have a conversation about what this course looks like and how it can help you create the business that you want, support yourself and your family without succumbing to the overwhelm that sometimes exists when we talk about building a business and building a career. I promise you that you can have it all once we define what all is to you. And we really dig into that in the Break Your Bullshit Box Academy. Activate your success mindset and achieve results in your life and business. Again, if that sounds interesting to you, 
head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com, get on my calendar, and let's at least have a conversation. You have nothing to lose from a conversation. With that being said, let's dig into this conversation with Vanessa. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I'm so excited to have you here. Likewise. Me too. Thanks. Um, before we hit record, we talked about so many amazing things that we're going to get into today, including the softer side of being a leader and the necessity for that. And I am really, really excited to dig into that. But before we do, I would love to let everybody that's listening know how you went from a C-suite that um, most people associate with the type A leader personality to being on a podcast talking about the softer things of energy work. Um, what, how, how did that happen? <laughs> Life intervened. <laughs> Doesn't it always? <laughs> yeah, well, I was very much a type A. I'm going to add some adjectives about me that you didn't say, but type A, self-critical, mm. driven, honestly terrified, but looked brave. Um very smart, very ambitious, but deeply traumatized, had no idea, and was channeling all of my childhood pain and trauma into achievement and productivity. Is your name Amber? Because I really <laughs> feel like it could be Amber. I got you. Yeah. It worked-ish. You know what I mean? And till it didn't, right? Till it didn't. You know, and that was the thing. I worked in the C-suite. I was young. I was 25 years old. My ego loved it. I was making 150 grand a year. But I was also, you know, I lived in a hostel because I was in Australia. And I was up all to like 3 a.m. getting wasted. I, I febrezed my hair for a <laughs> meeting around the VP. I was sitting around the VPs and like assuming nobody can tell I'm deeply hungover and smell like Febreze and cigarette smoke. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a contradiction. You know, and I, I, I kind of had a sense pretty early on that if I didn't take a different path, I was probably going to get fired anyway. It just so happened at the time, visa things were tightening up in Australia and I couldn't really keep my job with the visa that I was on. And so I took my out and I was backpacking at the time and I was getting my coaching certification at the time. And so I got to... I got to do two things. I started to dive deep into human psychology while in the midst of completely running from myself. <laughs> so really, really interesting juxtaposition. And at some point I decided it was time to stop running, go home and actually commit to this coaching mm. thing that was in 2012, maybe 2011. And as we do, as we, we grow into what we're learning and, you know, we're still operating from what I, in my lineage called the shadow aspects of ourself. I basically started to learn the way that the psyche worked and I started to do some healing. I actually have a little NLP in my background as well, but what sort of happened partway through is that this traumatized, ambitious, self-critical part it's like, oh, those are really interesting and useful tools. Let me bring them over to my side. And so even though I was doing deeply fulfilling work at this point, I was coaching. I think I was coaching some coaches at the time and I was starting to make real money. That was money has always been my kryptonite. And honestly, in many ways still is. And um, I started to make six figures and multiple six figures, but and working less hours. So I had six clients posted like 20 times a year on Instagram and made $300,000 on the surface. It was awesome. 
especially because it was such a it was such a far change from the corporate grind as well, right? I, I got to take all the stuff that my ego liked over there and bring it over here and attach it mm. to different boxes, entrepreneur, wealthy, you know, nomadic, whatever, you know, insert your <laughs> pieces there. But I couldn't deny that I felt bored. I was bored. And, and it got to a point where I made the mistake of hiring a brilliant spiritual teacher who didn't buy any of my bullshit. And um, <laughs> she just wouldn't like nothing I could say. She was unimpressed. She was unimpressed by my money. She was unimpressed by my brilliance. She was unimpressed by my drive. She was unimpressed by all the things that I was attached to. And so little by little, this part of me that emerged, started to emerge the softer side, started to trust her mm. more than my patterns. And that, my friends, is a very dangerous place to arrive because I started to really ask myself, do I even want a coach anymore? Which mm. I couldn't believe mm -hmm. I was asking because I had my whole identity, the box I lived in for 10 years was a coach. Do I, why do I care about making this money? Who do I even want to work with? What am I? Like I could start to see my social media posts and see the people that I was affiliated with that I idolized and just kind of, I was in this, it was lost. I was so confused. I could, I wasn't inspired by what I used to be inspired by for the life of me. I couldn't get motivated by what I used to be motivated by. And then it all broke down when I couldn't even force myself to create money the way I used to create money. And I used to be able to force myself way to do everything. And so it, there's a more detail, the story, but it, basically I, I, in this one last hurrah to try to make the whole thing stick, I put on this huge, well, huge for me, event, this virtual event, 85 people, so much preparation. I really felt like it was the truest expression of me. I mean, hours and hours and hours and hours. And it was <laughs> the most humiliating failure. Oh, no. Oh, I mean, look, I had a very traumatic childhood and I could not get out of bed. I was so humiliated from this event. The worst part was nobody who was there can tell me why. I mean, that's the <laughs> worst. You know, everyone agrees that it was humiliating, but no one knew why. Oh my gosh. Like what was, what about it made it humiliating? I know you just said nobody can tell you why. Like was the event, was it one of those situations where the event itself was successful, but you were so self-critical on yourself no. that it seemed, or was the event not successful? <laughs> no, it's weirder than that. <laughs> the event without went off without a hitch, but it was like, I felt like I was a goldfish, like mm. staring, like just it wasn't resonating. The one description that the one person gave to me, she was like, it was like that scene in Back to the Future where whatever Marty McFly is playing the guitar for the for the 19 whatever high school and they've never seen anybody play the guitar like that and they, they're not impressed by it because they can't even recognize it. It was like just total confusion, disconnect, mm. nothing landed. And I'm up there like, you know, thinking I'm Beyonce or something. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. And so it ended. And even before the call ended, I knew it was a disaster. I mean, my sister was on the call and not even she sent me like a thumbs up emoji. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, when you reach out to your sister and you're like, how was it? And there's like crickets. Yeah. You're like, oh shit. Was it yeah. that bad? Yes. It was just like that. But it was still to this day, 
the best I can describe it, it was, it was just the last attempt to try to do something that wasn't true. Mm. And after that I gave, I quit, I submitted. I was, I just felt the truth of, okay, I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. I can't keep forcing material outcomes to overcompensate for a lack of inner satisfaction. And I didn't have another option. I let my entire business collapse. Every client, every dollar for months, I couldn't pay my rent. I mean, I'm talking about 10 years as a six or multiple six figure entrepreneur, all of a sudden I can't pay my rent, can't pay my daughter's school. It was mm. talk about like every box I was attached to collapsed. Entrepreneur, successful, professional, responsible. My, I ended my marriage, wife. I mean, every box. And that process is excruciating beyond words. Anybody who's experienced any kind of identity death will understand. But and that's all really of what your identities at once. Yeah. That's really what it is, is an identity death. Like people don't yes. realize that we grieve ourselves when we grow. Yes. And so I'm glad you described it like that. Yeah. And at the end, you know, it, it lasted that, that period of my life lasted about six months. It was a long time, but when all the dust settled, then the only thing left was me. And so there was no point anymore to that. It's not like ambition is gone or drive or motivate. None of that's gone, but the way I use it is very, very different. The way I treat myself is very, very different. The way I meet myself is very, very different. And so the, the long story short is, you know, I softened because I submitted. It was finally required. And then I realized, oh, this is much better anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I love that you said I softened because I submitted because people ask me all the time how I went from being an attorney to being a business coach and a trainer. And I tell them that I had a mental breakdown. Yep. And they're like, well, they just look at me waiting for the laugh. And I was like, I'll laugh with you, but I'm not joking. Like, yes. I had a mental breakdown. And then I had to rebuild myself and I had a choice of rebuilding myself in the same image that caused my breakdown, mm. which frankly, I tried. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> we all do, right? We're Let's like, just see if God's I don't know. Attention. I don't know why it hurt so bad when I fell off this mountain, but let me climb back up that same one Must and hope that the next fall breaks less bones, right? <laughs> like it's, it makes no sense. However, I can hear you talking and I hear so much of my own story in that. I know there are so many successful business owners, entrepreneurs, service providers, um, all of us people that were on the border of Gen X and millennial that was told that the happiness and success comes after the comma in our income, right? All of that. You know, when I did, um, when I found this science and NLP and all of the juicy stuff that I love. And I was sitting in a boot camp and somebody gave me what my audience knows as the life wheel um, mm -hmm. to look at. <laughs> and what, one of the boxes on that life wheel is spirituality. And I crossed it off. I was like, I don't need any of that shit. <laughs> so I just replaced it with something else. Your trainers and, were like, guys, we got a live one. <laughs> right. And I was like, so this is 
my life will, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, so if there's something on this page that I don't need, can I just replace it with something? And they're like, well, <laughs> yes. And you should need everything that's on this. And I was like, I don't need any of this. Yeah. It was a good, oh God, two and a half years into my healing journey that I was willing to write it back in there. Yeah. And what what I hear so much about myself when you talk is that moment that I was willing to say, okay, I'm ready to talk about this again was the moment I really started to heal. Yep. Right. Like that. And, and I tell my clients all the time that that thing you tell me that you don't want to talk about, that thing that you tell me that you don't need, that's where we need to go first. For sure. I know you're not going to like it and it's going to suck, but that's where we need to go first. Yep. So We've all had, or if we haven't, we should have that person in our life. That's like, okay, your bullshit doesn't belong here. Let's go on to what we really need to talk about. Um, and that for you was this spiritual healer guide that you found. So did that person have a huge impact in you choosing then to pay it forward in that spiritual side of things and the energy side of things, or, um, did that come later? I was always doing it. You know, um, I was calling it something different. I was calling it healing. I was calling it rewiring, you know, and those are all good words for it. But I was doing it as a strategy. Let's heal this so you can have that. Let's heal this yeah. so you can have that. It's like now I'm, but I, but it always felt slightly out of integrity, but it was justified by sell them what they want, but give them what they need. And that mm. always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, even though there's some truth, there's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot of truth to it. Um, certainly I wouldn't sell somebody what they really need, which is the identity collapse, mental breakdown. And <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a post that I saw years and years ago and it was like, personal development isn't the book. Like people think personal development is the book. Personal development is the breakdown. It's mm -hmm. the tears. It's the blood, the sweat, the work. Um, personal development sucks. And it's brutal. so necessary. Yes. It's it's the best brutal thing ever. You know, it really is. When, when I work with people that are at the top of their game, I can say the, the number one uh, um, objection that we always get when we say there's a better way for somebody is they're like, you don't know, you've never been there. Mm. And we can look at them and say, well, I have been there. I've been the attorney. I've been the high performer. So when you're dealing with people that are at, the top of their game in leadership. They're at the top of their game in um, a C-suite position. And they're saying something still feels like it's missing. Does that fact that you've been there before help you relate to them on what they need? Or do you still get a shit ton of resistance? I think it's both. Part of my, what I call my medicine, like because of the work I've done on myself and the amount of my own soul that I have reintegrated by the real, it's really my shadow I've reintegrated. My soul has always been there. There's a little bit, there's, there's sort of three things that happen. One is that people's defenses often immediately break down because there's just like, they, they don't work kind of like with my teacher, Leanne, it was just like, they just don't work. The other part is yes, I have been there. So I have a lot, and this is the soft side. I have a lot of reverence and respect for people's resistance. And that is something that I learned and then the third part is like this, that I welcome the resistance. They kind of all go. And this is, this is really the soft part because the reason that we create these identities in the first place, the reason that we have the resistance that we have is because they are unconsciously created 
to protect us in some way. 100%. And so when somebody comes at me with an enormous amount of resistance, I bow down and I kiss its feet. Because if I go in with the fight energy that I sure can, and I have some serious warrior too, like I will knock you on your ass if that's what's required. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that that part has to trust me. And sometimes it trusts me more like, you know, like a, like a tough teenage boy that needs like, you know, knocked out to be like, okay, all right, I'm here. I'm here. That's not the case in a lot of resistance. A lot of resistance needs to know I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to take anything away that you're not ready to give up. And that has taken an enormous amount of professional maturity in me. I even have somebody on my team right now that I realize actually isn't good. It's not good for that person to be on my team. Because the level of self-reflection that I require is actually potentially dangerous to that person. You know, if we think about, think about, for example, some, this is an extreme example, but, and I actually know your story actually about your brother committing suicide. My cousin. Your cousin. My sister yeah, committed my suicide. My cousin and my uncle. Yeah. My uncle and my sister both committed suicide. And that is a, like... There, usually the level of psychological distortion that a person at that depth of pain experiences, the way they project, the way they blame, the way they see the world is totally off, right? But they have to create those levels of projections and blame and distortions to protect themselves from the deep self-hatred that they're in. Yeah. And I give this example because this person on my team, I can feel <laughs> almost that depth of self-hatred in her. So if I push and I push and I push against her resistance to get her to reflect and see the truth, it has actually potentially dangerous consequences. And even though most of the people that we work with and most of the people listening may or may not be at that level, it highlights why our brains operate the way that they do. And so sometimes softness is the only thing that will make someone feel safe enough and seen enough and understood and heard enough that wounded part of them to actually be like, Oh my God, I give. Okay. Yeah. 100%. And sometimes even if we can just get people to the knowledge that that projection and that shield is there and get them to acknowledge that maybe the way that they see the world isn't 100% the way that it is, then that cracks it enough to open it up. Um, yeah. You know, it's so interesting because that you say that because, and I've never talked about this publicly. I, I didn't know my uncle committed suicide for a long time because mm -hmm. my grandma refused to acknowledge it. And she hired investigator after investigator after investigator until she would get somebody that would come out and say that his death was an accident. Um, and wow. then I remember talking to my mom about it maybe 10 years ago. And um, I said, you know, his death and, and I made a comment about it being accidental because I had a fear here. Actually, here's what it was. I had a fear of firearms and, um, my fear of firearms was because I was afraid something was going to ricochet and hit me in the head. And when, um, my mom was like, Amber, that is, I mean, I grew up in Idaho, like it's firearm central. Um, and when I would, I, I remember saying to my mom, like, it's this, Everybody says it's this remote possibility, but look at what happened 
to my uncle. And she's like, that's not what happened to your uncle. But I had heard that story for so long that I think deep down, it was like, I knew that this is what had happened. But saying it out loud felt like I was betraying my grandma because she fought um. so hard to convince herself that wasn't true. And everybody else knew it, right? Um, and, and so I tell that only for the purposes of saying that the way that we see the world dictates the way that we see our future options and our, our present options in it. And yeah. even though deep down I knew what had happened, I was not willing to acknowledge it because it felt like a betrayal to somebody. Yeah, those are high stakes. Um, huge high stakes. And you're right that had anybody pushed um, my grandma to acknowledge the truth, like she never did, never did. She went to her grave not acknowledging the truth. And if anybody had ever pushed her to, like that would have been a, a brawl and yeah. they would have been wrong and that relationship would have been ended. So it's, it's important for us to know when we're dealing with people, and this goes so much into what you talk about with sales and leadership and communication and anything that has to do with that, we have to acknowledge where the other person is at and what their boundaries are on the realities that they're willing to face and not face. Mm-hmm. And then we have to know that about ourselves mm-hmm. at the same time. Yes. And then we have to bring those two people into the conversation. Yeah. And there's a I third wonder- voice. Can I add yeah, a third voice? Of course. Which is, and this voice is so insidious. It's the water that we swim in. Fast growth is better. Mm. <laughs> it's just not fucking true. And it's and not it's not true. reality. It's not real. And especially like you build this house of cards. Oh my God. The personal development world's on crack. It's insane. (laughs) If I have one more person that's going to teach me how to make $750,000 in 10 days, I'm going to throw up. I know. Um, And and then it sucks because then like you and I show up and we say, listen, this is a long term conversation. This is like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And they're like, well, so-and-so can do it in like 10 days. And I'm like, good luck Mm -hmm. with that. You in 11. And and we'll see you in 11. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, You said something earlier, and this is something that I'm super passionate about, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on. Um, One of the first things, so you said earlier that the part where you finally started to heal was when you surrendered and you realized that you weren't in control. And I can agree with that. I also know that when I talk to clients, the very, very, very first thing that I get them to understand is that they are 100% responsible for their lives. So how do we take the personal responsibility side that we need so much if we're going to grow and reconcile that with the reality that there is a force bigger than us and we're not in control? How do we reconcile responsibility and lack of control at the same time? I suppose the way that I, well, there's three things I wanted to say. One is it's because they're both true and just, you know, spiritual and human maturity is about being able to hold two things that feel like they're not true at the same, they can't be both true at the same time and hold them. Uh, The second is there's a difference between responsibility and control. And I would say that the third is the difference is to me, responsibility feels like personal power 
And then the other part of like control feels like, tr like power, power. And so the difference that I see is you are 100% responsible for your life in that you are 100% responsible for the way that you experience your life. If somebody comes at you and, you know, actually just this morning, I was working through this thing that happened with a friend that triggered me. Oh man, in a way I haven't been triggered. Like I, I actually wrote <laughs> R-A-G-E in separate lines, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I was fucking mad. And I knew like, you know, I, I was like, I am triggered and this is about me. And I wanted to just blame this person. And, <laughs> it's not very responsible. You know, it was responsible in that I was working through it with my teacher instead of projecting it at that person. That's what I mean when I say responsibility. You can't control everything that happens to you. You can't control the results that you work towards in your business. You can't control the way your clients, excuse me, show up. You can't control what's happening in different parts of the world or in parts of the economy and parts of your industry, but you are responsible for how you experience them, for how you meet them. And most of the time it's your past wounding that shows up to make you feel triggered. And it's your responsibility to handle that, heal that. So that next time that circumstance shows up, you don't get triggered. That's how I think about responsibility. Do you want me to pause? Or do you want me to talk about the other side? No, I love that. Keep going. Okay. The other part is even worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is the podcast of um, opportunity and excitement guys. So <laughs> come here for your feel good dose of the day. Someone's got a down hammer. <laughs> I actually always joke. I don't know if anybody, how I might date myself here, but do you remember the show Rainbow Bright? Oh my gosh. Yes. I loved Rainbow Bright. I feel like I'm the murky dismal of personal development. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> but actually like, I have so much fun with the, like the shadow work side of it that right. will give me a pass. But what I mean is the other side is, is actually your true power. Your true power comes when you realize you're not in control, there is a force greater than you. And people who are type A control freaks, they tend to feel threatened by that. But I'm like, wait a second, let me just no, frame this for you. I've never felt threatened by that. Right? Neither. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome to befriend that force greater than you instead of fucking fight it all the time? It's like, that doesn't even ever occur to us that it could be an advantage. <laughs> Higher power, God, force created life force energy. And we're like, no, nah, no, nah, thanks. I'll keep the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. I got this. <laughs> I got this. I'll need you. <laughs> it's terrifying. I it's can handle my own train wreck. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love, especially when, when life or God, whatever you call it, like navigates you to this beautiful unfolding. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah back up. I'll take it from here. You know <laughs> Or my favorite is when, and this recently happened to me, when you make a plan and you have it all figured out and then. <laughs> Go on, please. I need yeah. let me my popcorn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that story, I decided to close my law firm. I made the last decision to. And, and close is relative. I don't have staff anymore. I'm going to take about three cases a month or so, and that's it. And then go all in on coaching. And so I laid out the timeline for when this was going to happen. And I was going to take 90 days. She's <laughs> smiling already. She knows exactly where this is going. I was going to take 90 days. I was going to ramp up my 
my coaching business while I still had my staff at the law firm. And then the next 90 days, I was going to tell them what was going on. We were going to scale down the law firm. I was going to give them time to find new employment. That was back in June. My entire staff quit in July. Yes, they did. <laughs> and, and it was like the universe was saying, you said you wanted a bitch. Yeah, you're ready. How bad? Yeah. Are you ready? Because how bad? Because then it was like, I could go hire new staff for six months, which is then going to turn into eight months or 12 months or a year because I've got to pay them. So I've got to take more cases. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, okay, clearly you're telling me that I've waited too long to do this. Yes. And that the time was yeah. a year ago. I love and that, you shared that story. Are you, sorry. This is it. Yeah. Oh. No, it's, it's, and, and I struggled similar to you where, and I'm, I still make six figures and I still have, but my law firm was a multi, multi, multi six figure business. Mm -hmm. And when that goes away, like I remember telling my coach saying, I need to increase my income by $20,000 a month just to make sure my quality of life doesn't change. And she's like, okay. And she didn't say it because she has learned that if you push me, I'm going to put my walls up. But if you let me come to my own realizations, we're going to have conversations much sooner. My quality of life needed to change. Mm. It needed to change. That's a big deal. That's a big. And yeah. um, I needed to realize that the things that I was spending my resources on didn't need to be happening. Um, and so oftentimes, I lovingly say that the universe can be a bitch because oftentimes we say we want something and then one of two things happens. Either they present us with an opportunity that is opposite of what we just said we wanted so that we can decide whether we're willing to say no to it or the opportunity we say we wanted comes up sooner than we think we're ready for it and we have to decide if we're going to say yes to it. Yep. And both of those feel incredibly uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. I, I love, I mean, such a perfect story. It's such a perfect, because this is, we, you know, one of my favorite, 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 favorite all time spiritual teachings is, <clears throat> are you by chance a parent? I am not a parent. Okay. Can you imagine, say you are a parent, would you ever throw your baby into a fire? Of course not. And why not? Well, first of all, I don't like jail, but second of all, like it's, I mean, that's, that's your thing. That's your, that's your life. You created that. Yes. And God loves you too much not to. It's like, holy cow. Life yeah. loves you too much not to throw you into the fire. Like that is what this force greater than us is designed to do is to make sure that you don't settle. You don't shrink. You don't deny yourself what you want in order to keep yourself safe. And that process at first, and honestly, as it goes, is pretty excruciating. It makes sense that we fear it. It makes sense that we stay controlling. But I, I will always tell my clients, you can keep your control. I'm not going to take it away from you. That's not my job. But I do want you to understand how small your life has to mm. be in order for you to maintain that control. And if you're good with that, don't let me stop you. But that most hurts. of us, yeah, most of us want that we, 
the seven, okay, let's say you do make 750K in 10 days. It ain't going to be because you followed that guy's fucking strategy. It's going to be right. because you genuinely submitted. It was aligned for your soul and life force energy made it happen. But <clears throat> the process of becoming a person who can create magical results is the kind of person who's given up control and yeah. is now in partnership with the higher power. So that's a long answer to your question, but that's how I how I see those differently. Yeah, I I love that answer because, you know, I I I touch some nerves pretty much every time I open my mouth, but yeah. um, the, I can't the, relate. Um you know, I talk about in my trainings and I've never talked about this publicly outside of trainings. I've never talked about it on the podcast. Um, I talk about how important it is for us to acknowledge that responsibility piece so that we learn the lessons that we're supposed to learn. And um, my dad's death is one of those things. Like my dad wasn't, my dad wasn't responsible for his own death, but he made the choice to be in a place where he didn't feel safe for a really long time. And, you know, it's crazy when we start to really put together the pieces of when we decided the things in our life that we decided, we start to realize the correlation. Um, and for me, it was, I had decided that my own safety was supposed to be secondary to success. Mm -hmm. That if I was afraid of things, if I felt unsafe, that that was supposed to be put on hold because I could make money. I could um, live the dream per se. Um, and as soon as I realized that those two things were related, all of a sudden it became a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so I love the way that you talked about that responsibility side, because we're really not in control at all, ever. And if we want to be shown how much we're not in control, just think you are for a minute and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but the reason I asked you that and the reason I wanted to go down that rabbit hole was because there tends to be two ends of the spectrum and people either use the fact that they're not in control as an excuse to not take responsibility or they use the fact that they take responsibility to not give up control. And I love the way that you describe that because you're right. The sweet spot's in the middle. It is. Yeah. In Zen teaching, they call it the third kind of man where it's the one who um, can I, can I offer another little Zen parable? Always. So there's a master traveling through the desert with his student and they decide to have like put up camp for the night. And the master says, tie up the camel. And the master goes to bed. The student goes to sleep and, and forgets to tie up the camel or chooses not to whatever. And they wake up in the morning and the camel's gone. And the master says to the student, not angry at all. Hey, what happened to the camel? And the student is like, well, don't look at me. I told God to protect the camel. And I didn't tell him once. I told him three times. So it is not my fault. And if you're looking for someone to blame, take it up with the man upstairs because it isn't my fault. And the teacher says, trust in God, but tie up your camel. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, and he said, and he goes on to say that because yes, all the power comes through God, life force, whatever, but it, they, it needs your hands. And I love this. So one of the practices that when I remember, I love is that action is a type of prayer. Ooh, action is how I show I have never heard that before and I love it. It's how I pray. Okay. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what the fuck is going to work or not, but let me just be devoted to my offering, to my work, to myself 
through this action because it's all I can see. And you do what you'll do. Yeah. So I have two questions for you and I might be a little overly excited to ask these. This is going to be fun. Um, so first of all, I'm curious to know, um, and I'll preframe this by saying that part of the reason I crossed off spirituality on that list the first time that I ever did that life will exercise was because I come from a very um, shame-based religious upbringing. Catholicism by chance? Mormonism. <laughs> okay. Um, so the same. <laughs> so I had, um, and what's really interesting is I don't necessarily think, well, I don't know that that's an appropriate statement, so we'll leave that alone. Um, I don't know whether it's the religion that is shame-based or whether it's the people in the religion that are shame-based, but either way, the output of what happens is shame-based. Mm -hmm. And so I had completely shut down and, and I had tied spirituality to religion. Yeah. So when I hear the work that you're doing, bringing this softer side into mainstream corporations and the spiritual side into mainstream corporations, part of the trauma in me kicks in and part of the attorney in me kicks in. And I wonder how much resistance you get from people who have not learned yet to separate spirituality and religion. Mm. Well, it depends on the organization. There's some that I don't, I use different words for these things. Mm -hmm. And I just don't, you know, I did a lot of trainings at LinkedIn last year and I didn't use these words, but their like head of global something or other scheduled a meeting with me. And she was like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do we like you so much? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and I gave her this very, you know, practical answer. And she's like, that's a great answer, but it's totally bullshit. What's the real one? Everybody says that. And I was like, the truth <laughs> is we're talking about spirituality. I'm just giving it different words. And she was like, huh? You know, and so part of me, I just, part of me, I just don't. But the other part of me, sometimes I just forget because I had that, I grew up Catholic. Okay. Um, I, I remember pretty much the moment that I severed myself from a higher power and I was 34 before my reconnection to God, spirit, whatever. And I was through a hate letter. I, that was like, I'm back motherfucker. For weeks, I literally wrote hate letters to God and all my guides. And I mean, just like they were just F-bombs and capital letters and scratching shit out. And how fucking dare you betray me? And you just wait till I get back there. <laughs> and so and then you get that like peace that comes over your body and they're like, you got it out of your system now? Yes. We good? Yes. We move on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think because I've, I, I, I've, it's, I'm so good with it that when people have that response, I'm like, I get it. You want to write get a it. letter? So it just, it just, you know, I, I think that's my inarticulate answer, but that's the answer. No, I love that. So your story reminds me of the moment that I decided I was ready and willing to reopen this door. And the only way that I understood spirituality was through religion, mm -hmm. but I knew that I was never going to understand it through the Mormon religion. And mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to go back there. And so I remember the, first, remember the first time that I decided to go back to church and I found this non-denominational Christian church where I felt like I wasn't putting myself in a box, the place where you go because you 
don't want to be put back into the same places that you came from, right? <laughs> and I had just done two years of personal development work where we talk about your experiences and how your life experiences have programmed your brain and how that dictates your future. And I was so resistant to walk into this church. And I walk in and they had just started a new six week series. And the, the six week series was called Letters to Your Former Self. Oh my God, that's amazing. And I walk in and I was like, okay. And then I sit down. First of all, I started bawling because I was like, mm. if I was looking for anybody to connect spirituality and the real world for me, they just did. Mm. And then I sit down and I see this pastor come out. Now, first of all, you know, um, because you came from a similar religion, like this come as you are laid back, like it's Sunday. So I'm going to wear my football Jersey to church that did not exist in our world. Uh -huh. And, um, so when I walk in and this pastor comes out and he's in like his chief's Jersey and I'm like, there's like this rock band starting music. I'm like, okay, so this is different. And then he stops and he's like, I have this whole sermon planned. He's like, but before I do some, I, I just need to say that, and I don't know why, he says, I just need to say that um, I'm really thankful that every one of you are here. And if there's anybody in the audience that doesn't know what you believe yet, um, I feel like I need to tell you that this is the place you get to figure it out. Oh, that makes me want to cry. And I lost it. Because like, we didn't come from a place where it was okay to say that you didn't believe something. Mm -hmm. We didn't come from a place where it was okay to say that I was just going to figure it out. And to me, the thing that has always led to the most success in my life has been curiosity. Mm -hmm. And there was no curiosity allowed in spirituality for me wow. because these were the rules and you believed them. And if you didn't believe them, then you were wrong. And so I love what you're doing because to me, it opens back up that curiosity conversation for so many people. Mm, that's really, thank you. What, a, I mean, that's such a powerful story. And I feel like so many people have a shame-based relationship to spirituality, especially when you bring it, I won't even go down this rabbit hole, Never mind. Um, we'll leave it at that. But I love that what you said before, you said this, this something along the lines of the place that what did you say that 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 kind of bridged the gap between the real world and the spirit? Yeah, that like connected. Like I had never been in a situation where anybody had been able to explain to me why spirituality was important. Uh-huh. Oh, it was this and practicality, I think. Yeah. 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 And like the real world. And 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 why do I need these things? And yeah. because it was always just like you do this because when you die, you don't want to go to hell. Yes, Catholic religion as well. Like that's yeah. that's it. And, yeah. and then even when I made the decision to leave the church, that's why I made the decision to leave it. Cause my dad had died yeah. and these 12 year old missionaries knocked on my door and they were like, we just like, they found out my dad died through a conversation and they were like, oh, well then it's even more important that you talk to us because you better be a better person than he is or else you're never going to see him again. And I was like, fuck you, I'm out. Mm. So like, I was like, I was like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's, so it's, I, I feel like you and I could talk about this forever and we very well may, we may have another podcast on this, but I'm so um, excited. A word. Um, 
it, I don't know that it's the right one. I'm, I'm very like, I see so much opportunity mm. in the growth of corporations and business with people like you bringing the softer side into it. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question for you, because I know we're going to run out of time. I did a, a podcast with somebody recently and we talked about the fact that we have to leave ourselves at the door when we get a job. Like we get hired because of who we are. And then all of a sudden the personal becomes secondary to the professional. And I feel that way about spirituality as well. So when you're talking to corporations about increasing their sales, you're talking to them about um, increasing their morale, increasing the success that they have in their business. And the reality is that the way to do that is to be human. But the more that people grow and the more successful they get, the more processes and procedures they think they need. So how do you help people understand the importance of being human while also maintaining policies and procedures that allow people to grow? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it is also what I do in sacred sales. I do the same thing with entrepreneurs um, that if you want to make the sales that you want, if you want to have the success that you want, not only can you not leave yourself at the door, you must bring the most authentic parts of you that actually make you want to run and hide. That's where Mm. And that includes bringing in spirituality. And in organization, you it's not different. It's actually not different. Organizations are just the same consciousness blown up at an organizational level. And there's, you know, I have a gym as well. And so we have an organization. And this is, it's a, it is a challenge in an organization versus a solo entrepreneur. And I I learned this recently when I I kept hearing myself say to this one particular person, I want you to be yourself. I want you to be yourself. And luckily I had a friend that said, Vanessa, stop lying to her. No, you don't. Mm. And I was like, oh, actually that's not true. I do want her to be herself. Just not here. It's not a fit. It's not a fit. So there's this, there's this reality where just like not everybody you date will become your husband. Not everyone you meet will become your client. Not everybody who shows up at your door to work in your organization is also a fit. So I think there's some level of, there's the reality that in order for an organization to work, it needs to be organized. And so there's a way in which not everybody can just show up and I don't know if John Bunyan is the right example, but like that's that's coming up and just go, we're going to use rogue and do what they want. And on the other side of it, organizations have to be willing to fear intimacy less because that's really what it is. If you're allowing people to be their full selves and not have to check their humanity at the door, they're going to be bringing some shit in the door that they didn't used to bring in. And if my work in organizations is to coach and teach leaders how to hold more of that without pushing into therapy or personal coaching. And it's a, it's a, in my, it's a, it's a radical reorganization of the way that organizations work. It's a huge order. It's an enormous ask, but it's also what's required. And it's not as intimidating when you actually see that as, as the leaders, if you just start to do that yourself, you're less afraid of your people doing it. So the more I can work with a leader at the top of the organization, 
I'm actually about to do a, um, a two day event in Austin with like a group of CEO executive women. And we're taking the nine global leadership behaviors as determined by McKinsey, which is a huge like global consulting firm. And we're, we're saying, so let's say it's um, things like inspiration, participative decision-making, individualistic decision-making, um, control and expectations, you know, like really like tangible, practical things. And we're walking it all the way back to the psychological wounding that gets in the way. So if intellectual stimulation is the behavior, the thing that gets in the way is inadequacy. If individualistic decision-making is the behavior, codependency and abandon, like we're taking it deep. But the beauty is that when you, when you actually learn this, it becomes less intimidating. And when you're a leader and you're not intimidated by it, it's easier to handle. So you don't have to be so afraid of people showing up authentically because you're not afraid of the mess that comes with authenticity. Yeah. And then it actually becomes easier to hold people to policies and procedures because you're not caging them in and making them wrong. You're like, Hey, love this, change this. Yeah. I love that you talked about kind of that top of the leadership because I deal with, I work with so many entrepreneurs who um, talk about dysfunction in their organization. And they're like, I don't understand why they don't do what I told them. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you did. Like they should just listen or my favorite, <laughs> they should just know. Yeah. Like it's common sense. They should just oh, know. Common sense. <laughs> I had to tell my business partner, I'm like, you need to eliminate that word from your vocabulary because there ain't no such thing as common sense. It doesn't it's exist. It's true. Doesn't and I exist. tell my, I tell my clients all the time, if they thought like you, they'd be you, then they wouldn't be their employees. They'd be your competition. So yeah. how about well, we acknowledge them for who they are? So, um, I have had so much fun talking to you Me and too. I'm sure that we are going to continue this conversation both on and off of a podcast platform. Um, I'd like to end this by asking you if there was one thing that you could um, teach or impart on anybody that's listening, one thing that you think would immediately change the results they're getting in their life with one little tweak or information, what would that be? <laughs> Love this question. <laughs> Spend an hour a week in nature in silence. Ooh, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. And I want to just denote this with, I've put in over a quarter million dollars to my own personal development between courses and hiring the literal best coaches on the planet. And this is my piece of advice. I love that. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it. I've had such a good time with you today. Me too. Loved it. It was, I love laughing this much. So thank you. Before we wrap up, if anybody wants to finish or to follow up on this conversation, they want to reach out to you. They want to contact you in any way. What's the best way for them to connect with you? So they can go to the powergift.com and it's free training on really even more detail of what we talked about today. And then that puts you on my newsletter, my email list as well. And I send bite-sized delights out every day. And from there, if you're interested, you can also look into the sacred sales offering that I do. Awesome. 